Hey, this is Pastor Allen. I'm the lead pastor here at First Baptist Church of Naples, and we are so happy that you have chosen to join us as we go through God's Word together. God's doing some amazing things here, and we pray that God's Word will transform you from the inside out. Our mission here is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ of all peoples. And our hope is, is that you are being a disciple that makes disciples. Now, if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to join us either in person or continuing online as we go into God's Word together every week. But if you are a member of another church, we don't want this to be in any way, shape, form, or fashion a substitute for you being connected to your local body. So our prayer is, is that God uses His Word to change you and to change others. So we pray that God will use you and this message for His glory. Have a great day.
I mean, I don't want anybody to get hurt, but I want an explosion or something. Yeah. I want to see something worth my waiting for an hour. But the GPS can see things that I couldn't see from that satellite circling up above. All I can see is my right hand. When it comes with God, all I can do is see my right hand. But he sees the walk will be. And I can trust him. Because his character is good and he's worthy of my trust. God is good? All the time? Disagree with Genesis chapter 1. Okay? Genesis chapter 1, God said everything he did was good seven times. And the seventh time, he said it's very good. Jeremiah 29 11, many of you know this verse. We almost wear it out sometimes, but you can't. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare or good and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd in John 10. And Paul explained in Philippians 1.6 to his struggling church, he who began a good work in you, a good work in you, will be faithful to complete it. God is always about your good. And he doesn't need anything except your best. Now the challenge is, that the world is going to try to steal that from you. That our corrupted culture, the broken people in our lives, and to be honest, even our own emotions and our own labor thoughts, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel. It's just a, it's a bent in our nature. And not only that, but you have a very real spiritual enemy that wants to steal that from you. The Bible takes the devil very seriously. And he shows up in the Bible right from the beginning, Genesis chapter 3. And he's right there lying to Adam and Eve. Trying to get them to disobey God and take control of their own lives. And he does it by challenging this belief that God is good and is worthy of our trust. The first thing he does is he tries to get Adam and Eve to distrust God's character. Basically, what he says, listen, if God is holding out on you, it's the serpent. He's holding out on you. God knows that when you eat of that fruit of good and evil, you will be like God. You can't trust him. But according to God's word, everything good and beautiful in this world is from God's word. The problem is, is that the world around us doesn't just reflect God's character. It reflects ours as well. And when we choose to be our own gods, we release it in the world. And when we're getting hit by our sin, and we're getting hit by the consequences of other people,
because you have a good God and he is worthy of your trust. Then the psalmist shifts gears. And we just talked about, we just sang about how God reigns. Now he's going to shift gears to say, not only is God good, but God's in charge. Because God is great and God reigns. And, and point two that he goes to is the greatness of God's power and his worthiness of worship is the key to keeping your peace in a world of turmoil. So the title of our message as it runs through is keeping your peace in a, tur- in a world of turmoil, in a world of change, in a world of disruption, How do you keep your peace and you keep your confidence? You do it by gazing at God. Pastor talked about gazing at God uh, last week. And, uh, And when he did that, we're going back to the Grand Canyon. He used that as an illustration. The Grand Canyon. A lot of people approach God like this. They acknowledge him from a distance. Kind of like they do the Grand Canyon. Maybe they pull up, they come to the rim, they look at it, they go, wow, that's great. I'm glad I saw that. And then they get back in the car and they go on their way. They just want to know it was there and they saw it, but there's no impact. But then there's others who stay. They study. They soak. They experience the beauty and the tranquility. And they begin to see the colors and they begin to see the beauty of the canyon a different way, the way someone who spends time in the presence of God and trusts in him, they begin to see God in a very unique way. They begin to see things about God they've never seen before and it starts to take their breath away and it starts to change who they are. And then there are others who go beyond the service, they dig deeper And they go into the depths of the Lord. Just like in the depths of this canyon. At first, it's just big and it looks like a hole in the ground. It looks like a bunch of beautiful rocks. But in the heart of it, beauty, refreshment, and a dry land. Jesus said, he who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Does your soul feel like that today? It can. Let faith ignite your soul. Remember that your God is good and that he's worthy of our trust. Remember that God's greatness of power and that he is worthy of your worship. God is great. All the time. Why are these confessions important? Yes, God is good, God is great, but I want you to focus on all the time. In a world of turmoil where you're trying to keep your peace of mind, there's an anchor that holds. There's a cornerstone that doesn't move. There's a rock and a shield because God doesn't change. Everything else changes History changes, God doesn't change. And when that's where you stand, you're on solid ground. And so the psalmist wants you to key into that. And to do that, he begins to point us towards creation. 
By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. He gathers the water of the sea. He commanded and it stood firm. In Psalm 8, King David says this. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You see that? He, he looks at creation and he's automatically moved and David is trying to wrap his brain around the fact that God is in charge of everything that he sees and yet God cares for him. He ponders this later in Psalm 139 where he says, there's a thought and before my thoughts hit my lips, you know it already. And he just said, this is just too wonderful for me. For me. I can't even wrap my brain around it. He just sat in awe. I like this word King David says, you set it in place. That means that everything in this universe is where it is because God put it there. And that's why it's still there. And it will stay there until God says something different. So let's do a little science. Do you know that there's over 15,000 planets that our scientists have explored, planets and exoplanets, and the Earth is still unique? It's the perfect size to hold on to its atmosphere and the perfect density. Air and gravity. You woke up in it, you move in it, and you don't even think about it. But it's because of the unique size and mass and volume of the earth and the air and the gravity that you did not have to tie you, yourself to your bedpost and not float into your ceiling fan. I bet you didn't even know that could be a problem. <laughs> but it could be. If you don't have air and you don't have gravity, you have to worry about that ceiling fan. It's the perfect distance from the sun so that we're not too hot, not too cold, so that water doesn't completely evaporate and we come a, become a barren landscape or we don't freeze and become a popsicle. It's the perfect distance. They call it the Goldilocks principle. We have the perfect rotation. You may not think about the 24 hours, the night and the day, but it's the perfect optimal balance for plant life, for food production and oxygen production. The perfect rotation. I love this, you don't even think about this. We have the perfect global thermostat. You only hear about tectonic plates moving and shifting when you hear about earthquakes or you hear about tsunamis. The fact is they are moving and shifting all the time. And when they do that, they process limestone, they process carbon dioxide, and they regulate the climate of the whole earth like a global thermostat. You didn't even know you had a global thermostat. But you woke up to the right temperature today for us to live, survive, move, and breathe, and praise the Lord because God set the thermostat. Not only that, you've got the perfect protection. 
There's a reason that you woke up this morning. There's a reason that we weren't all ash on the surface of the earth. Because God made the world with a metallic core. And that metallic core projects a magnetic force field. And when solar flares come off our sun, they're deflected around the earth. Do you realize that you are sitting? You didn't even know you had a force field, did you? You have a force field. And it kept you safe last night while you slept. It kept you safe right now. Not only that, you may not be aware of this, but besides not being crispy critters, we have perfect neighbors that keep us from being pounded off the face of the earth called Saturn and Jupiter. Those two big puppies right there in the middle. They protect us from extinction-sized comets and meteors like two big brothers watching over their little sister to keep her safe. They deflect comets and meteors away from the earth or they suck them into their orbit. That's why we don't look all divided like some of the other planets. That's why when you came out to your car this morning, they didn't have a big boulder on it because you're big brothers. Then the psalmist goes from this wondrous, marvelous miracle. I mean, you wake up in God's care. You sleep in God's care every day. You live and move and breathe in God's care every day. And the reason I share this with you is because I use this. When I feel threatened, when I'm tempted to be overwhelmed, I remember this. This is what David did. He's looking at all of this and he's going, and yet you, you notice me. And that's what we've been singing about. I'll never be more loved than I am right now. But then it begins to dial down. We go from the universe and the psalmist goes to the nations. He says, not only is God running the universe and taking care of you and loving you there, but you have to remember that he rules the nation. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the people. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. You know, last week in the Chapman University survey that the pastor talked about, we learned about some of the top 10 fears of America. We learned that our number one fear was corrupt politicians. That goes for either party. Then we were worried about Russia using nuclear weapons. Depending on the year, that kind of shifts around. On another year, it was North Korea. Another year, it was China. But we're always worried about somebody using nuclear weapons. Or another world war. Or an economic collapse. I do have some good news, bad news that uh, the pastor didn't share last week out of that survey. Did you know that the belief in ghosts has gone down? <laughs> the bad news is that the belief in zombies has gone up. <laughs> I'm sure that has nothing to do with all the TV specials that are running on zombies. But the truth is, to be honest, more nations have been destroyed in history by either denying God or forgetting him than have been destroyed by dukes. If I'm gonna be afraid of something, I'm gonna be afraid of my heart, 
or I'm gonna be afraid of my country forgetting my Lord. That's what Lincoln was talking about in the very beginning. Habakkuk was having the same problem. The prophet Habakkuk, I know most of you probably woke up this morning and did your devotion to the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk was a prophet in the Old Testament, one of the minor prophets, and he was struggling. He looked around and he said, God, I know you're good, I know you're faithful, I trust your character, I know you're great. How can you put up with all this corruption among your people? He said, justice doesn't have a chance. Those who are in power and those who deceive, when I look at all the flawed people and what they get away with, he says, God, how do you tolerate it? And, and how can you, knowing who you are? Then God kind of set Habakkuk straight. He says, well, Habakkuk, here's the deal. Set yourself and prepare to listen. Judah is gonna be judged by Babylon. Then I'm gonna bring other nations to judge Babylon because I'm in charge. Promotion doesn't come from the east, it doesn't come from the west. The Lord lifts up and the Lord tears down and yes, I am dealing with it, but I set the time of judgment and I set the method and I do it with all righteousness and justice. So he said, Habakkuk, basically in summary, you've got two choices. Habakkuk, you can stand there in your pride and you can judge me or you can join the just that live by faith and you can trust me. And with that, Habakkuk wrote these words. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor the fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's and he makes me tread on high places. There's nothing more sure-footed than a deer. God has designed them so unique that the reason they climb the mountains the way they do is they put their paw, their front paws on a, on a certain spot and they make sure the rocks are secure. And when they jump, their back feet hit exactly where their front feet were. So they're always sure-footed. He said, that's what God does for me. Because you see, what Habakkuk knew is that when you trust God, no matter what, you learn a lot about God and you learn a lot about yourself. Sadly, a few years, 50 or so, maybe less than 100 after Habakkuk had this talk with God, this is what happened to Jerusalem. Babylon came in just as God told and punished Judah for forgetting him. What you don't realize is that when Jeremiah wrote a letter to the exiles in chapter 29, verse 11, to the people whose last vision of their home was this, 
God said, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for good and not evil. You think they had a hard time accepting that? To give you a future and a hope. Not only was that burning city, their burning capital, the last thing they saw, when they got this letter from Jeremiah, this is where they were. They were in Babylon, the capital of military and economic power of that day, the New York City of their day, the Chicago of their day. They were there remembering their capital in ashes. It's believed that this was one of the first cities to reach 200,000 in population. If you're wondering where this city is located, it's about 53 miles south of Baghdad in Iraq. So there in this city, at the seat of this power as exiles and slaves, the last thing they remember is their nation, their capital being burned. The prophet sends them a letter that says, God has plans for good for you and not evil, a future and not a hope. But here's what the prophet says God says about this city. The land trembles and rises in pain for the Lord's purposes against Babylon will stand to make the land of Babylon a desolation without inhabitant. Therefore says the Lord about Israel, Behold, I will plead your cause and I will take vengeance for you. Then he goes back to Babylon. I will dry up her sea. I will make her fountain dry. Babylon will become a heap of ruins, the haunt of jackals and a horror and a hissing without inhabitant. So to the burning city, he says, I have a hope and a future and good for you. To beautiful, prideful Babylon, he says, I'm gonna make you a dust bowl that cannot be inhabited. Here's Babylon today. There it is. Babylon the beautiful, seven wonder, ancient seven wonder of the world. Just as God said, you will be uninhabitable. If you look at it in the back, you'll see a wall that's been rebuilt. Saddam Hussein built that wall, former ruler of Iraq. I believe his began, in my opinion, not when he thumbed his nose at the United States. His end began when he opposed God and decided he would rebuild Babylon against God's prophecy. And that was the end of Saddam Hussein. But to the burning city, he said, I have a future and a hope and only your good. And here's Jerusalem today. Israel is the only nation in history that I'm aware of that ceased to exist and then later reconstituted. Only by the power and the presence of God. That's what God does. God is in charge of the nations. You know, our founding fathers do that. King David knew that. We need to remind ourselves lest we forget that. Here's what some of our father, founding fathers had to say. Now, they weren't perfect men. They had their fears and their flaws and their 
controversial areas in their lives, but they knew some things. George Washington, 1789, whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God and to obey his will to be grateful for all his benefits. John Adams, we recognize no sovereign but God and no king but Jesus. And with this faith and this understanding, they stood up to the greatest military power of their day because they believed in God's goodness, his greatness, and the scriptures. Then there's Benjamin Franklin. Now, he's a controversial figure. I don't know sure where he ended up in his personal faith. He would be considered the most liberal-minded of the bunch, but he knew his Bible because his parents had raised him in God's word. And while he may have doubted some things, there were some things that were undeniable in his mind. And here, where he's exhorting Congress to return to a habit of prayer, he makes this statement. I have lived, sir, a long time. And the longer I live, the more convincing proof I see of this truth, that God governs the affairs of men. And if a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the Lord build, they labor in vain that build it. I firmly believe this. That's how this country got started. People who believed in the goodness and the character of God and people who believed that God was great and he was worthy of worship. But they also believed that we as individuals or as a country or as a church could learn to rest in God's grace by depending on his faithful love. They knew God was good, they knew that he was great, and they knew that he was gracious. God is gracious, and all the time, God is gracious. There's a word throughout the scriptures that's translated three times in this passage of Psalm 33, steadfast love. It barely scratches the surface of the being this word, and this word is called hesed. But like in Psalm 33, 18, it says, those who hope in his steadfast love, his chesed, from Adam and Eve in the garden to Israel in the wilderness in the promised land to Jesus taking our death and judgment on the cross, God is love. His chesed in the Old Testament is God's grace that took Jesus to the cross in the New Testament. Isaiah 54, 10 says this, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love, my chesed, for you will not be shaken. You can rest in the grace of God by depending on his faithful love. When my peace of mind is threatened because my world is in turmoil, I remember God's character. I remember God's greatness. I remember his love. Once again, George Washington in his prayer journal talks about this kind of personal care. 
In one battle, George Washington had two horses shot out from under him and he had four bullet holes in his coat. And he talked to his mom about God's divine protection. Here, he's thanking God for a good night's sleep. It's in Old English, so you'll have to listen close. Oh, eternal and everlasting God, beseeching thee to accept my humble and hearty thanks that it hath pleased thy great goodness to keep and preserve me the night past from all the dangers that poor mortals are subject to and has given me sweet and pleasant sleep whereby I find my body refreshed for performing the duties of the day. Thank you, God, for a good night's sleep. Here's the father of our nation not taking for granted a good night's sleep. Now he commits to the Lord his day. Lord, direct my thoughts, my words, and my work. Now listen to his understanding of salvation and faith. Wash away my sins in the immaculate blood of the Lamb and purge my heart by the Holy Spirit from the dross of my natural corruption that I may with more freedom and liberty of will serve thee. Increase my faith in the sweet promises of the gospel. They knew some things. They knew that the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him and on those who hope in his steadfast love. This is why Jesus said, come to me all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, but my burden is light. This is why 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your cares on him because he cares for you. The idea there is taking a load and passing it on to someone else. We were doing some moving yesterday as we were moving some furniture for my wife's parents, for her mom. And so when we came to the U-Haul, one of us had to be on the ground with the furniture and the other one had to be in the truck. And we had to lift it up and then the person in the truck had to take the piece of furniture. That's what this is a picture of. I'm picking up the load or I'm taking the load and I'm passing it over. I'm rolling the burden off of me on to another person because God says, do this with me because I care for you. I don't know what kind of week you've had. You may have had one of those weeks where you're going, man, God is good. Or you might have had one of those weeks where you're like, good God. What a week. I don't know which one you've had. But the answer is the same for either one. You remind yourself that you have a God who is good. You remind yourself that you have a God who is great and sovereign. He's in control of the nations. But as David struggled to understand and grasp, he said, how is it that you run the universe and keep it in its place? You rule the nations and they rise and they fall. Yet you notice when a spirit falls, you feed the ravens and you take care of me and he takes care of you. That is the God that we serve. I wanna close with a story of two ladies. Both of them experienced great tragedy uh, in their lives. 
One of them, their child was severely handicapped because of a medical malpractice situation. And it was sad. It was hard. And it was one of those things that it just made you angry every time to see the situation. Because it shouldn't have been that way. But she didn't know the Lord. She turned her own resources. She turned to alcohol. She turned to men. Her life was constantly in turmoil because she didn't know how to keep her peace of mind in her chaotic, painful, depressing, difficult situation. And her, her life was just always in distress and it was always in chaos. And I wasn't even walking with the Lord at the time. And I noticed it. But later I became a believer and in the fellowship with other believers, I was introduced to another lady. She and her husband had been building their dream home for retirement. And only a few weeks before retirement, the home almost complete, saved up for it their whole lives. He went to work one day as usual. He was a miner. So they weren't wealthy, just hardworking. Stood around a shaft with several other men. They had an elevator that went down the shaft one at a time. He stepped into the elevator out of turn. And then it malfunctioned and he plummeted to his death. One of the miners came to his wife during the funeral and he said, ma'am, I don't know if this will help. But I knew every man standing around that mine that day and your husband was the only one prepared to meet Jesus. And she knew because her God is good and he's in control that her husband gave someone else a chance to come know the Lord. He gave someone else more time because precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. What's a tragedy on this end is a celebration on the other. But she knew that. She knew her God and she knew the hope. And so she kept her peace of mind. Yes, she grieved. Yes, there's lonely nights. Yes, it's difficult. But then she gets in God's word. She gets in God's presence and she gazes at his beauty and his love for her. And her soul wells up and praise befits her. And it floods into the lives of everyone associated with her. And when you walk into her home, you know the presence and the love of God is there and she just beams because she knows one day she'll be in glory with her husband. We have an awesome God. So I don't know what you're facing in your life, but you have a heavenly father who is good and you can trust him. He is in charge and he can take care of the planets and he can take care of you. So the next time your tire is flat, just thank God that your lungs are full. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you are a God who knows us by name. Other parts of this Psalm says you know the contents of our heart. You know the anxieties that are there, the fears that are there, the sorrows that are there, the abuses that are there. 
Lord, you also know the hope and the faith and the healing that is there if we know Jesus. It is our prayer that everyone in here would know this God of the Bible who controls history and controls our day. If you know him, worship him. If you don't know him, come down, after the front, come down to the front after the service and we will be glad to help you to know that. Don't leave here without him. You need this God. Believe in him as the scriptures have said and rivers of living water will flow from your soul. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we go through God's word together. I pray again that God will transform you from the inside out. So as we say here at first, you have come to church, go out and be the church, have a great week of worship. We can't wait to see you soon.